Okay, we're back to podcast, and I hope everyone is doing well. Had a good day in the Lord, and uh, I have a hope. I have a hope for us. Um, I know times are bleak, it seems like, as you look at the world, but we have a blessed hope. We know uh, the, uh, the end of the story for for earth and uh, it's just the beginning for you and I and um, I'm thankful for it I'm encouraged I'm not discouraged uh, one bit and I'm looking forward to uh, serving the Lord and I appreciate each of you uh, we're going to Ephesians <clears throat> now I want to say something about Ephesians I want to say something about undertaking this study and I, and I want to say it appropriately. Um, we, I, I've spent the, the better part of most of my life at this point, uh, ab- absolutely, essentially all of my adult life, studying the Bible and learning it and reading about it and reading commentaries and writers and praying over it and reading the Bible itself. And I I told you the other day that uh, one of my goals in life is to teach every verse. And I have most verses in the Bible. I have taught um, through the New Testament uh, some books many times. I have taught probably two-thirds of the Old Testament. And one of my goals before I go to heaven is to teach every verse. Not every book, but every verse. And so, again, the New Testament is accomplished. Much of the Old Testament is accomplished. Um, Now, I haven't said that. I'm saying all of that for a reason and for a purpose. And here it is. This chapter that we're about to undertake... In, in podcast study tonight is perhaps the, I don't want to say toughest, but the most challenging of all the chapters in the Bible, all of them. Romans 8 is right there. Uh, Hebrews 6 is right there. A um, lot, of, lot of texts are very challenging texts, but Ephesians is the summit. It really, Ephesians 1 is the summit. Um, Now, before we get to Ephesians 1, and you'll see why, um, but before we get there, I want to give you a little background to the the Ephesian letter. This is a church, this is a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul to the local church at Ephesus, and these people of Ephesus are called Ephesian people. Hence the title of the book, Ephesians. Now, uh, it was written in about A.D. 62, and uh, the church at Ephesus is is in a Greek city where the Temple of Diana was. That's We find that cross-reference in Acts 19 and 24. Paul had preached the gospel in Ephesus 10 years before this letter, and he had built up a large and a a very strong church there. You'll find that in Acts 19, uh, as well as 20, verses 17, 38. And 
there is a letter that is mentioned in Colossians 4 and 16 uh, to be read to the Laodiceans. You, you know, Laodicea is also a church. And um, it's probably a, le a letter that kind of, it was a circular letter and it was it, inti it was intended for many churches. So in other words, this is a letter that most likely was making a circuit amongst churches, kind of like, uh, say, a pamphlet or a, or a uh, Sunday school material or, material or something like that we would look at in our day. Well, in, in this day, this would have been a letter from Paul initially to the Ephesians at Ephesus, but it, it most likely made it a circuit. And, and of course, God preserved it, and it's made a circuit uh, the world many, many, many times over now, being a part of the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> the, the subject matter or the theme uh, of Ephesians is it is an epistle that speaks of our salvation by grace through faith and the unity that we have in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. Now, if Genesis had an Old Testament counterpart or an Old Testament parallel, it would be the book of Joshua. And, and the reason is, is because of both speak of heavenly places or a promised land or us obtaining what God has promised. So in Ephesians, Paul is addressing to us and telling us what God has given us in our salvation. And in Joshua, God is telling the Israelites the, the blessings that they can have from him in this life. And so we see the two books parallel, one from the Old Testament, one to the New. Uh, Joshua is perhaps my favorite, other than maybe Ruth. Joshua is perhaps my favorite of all the books of the Old Testament. I, I adore the book of Joshua. Very good teaching and preaching from that book. But as we get into uh, Ephesians 1... There's, there's, some, there's several things that we're going to look at. The biggest one is how Paul starts this off. He, he gets going and he basically gives us an entire chapter opening up about the grace of God. And it's as if he gets started and he can't stop. It's, it's as if he, it, it, I, I can identify with this with preaching, with writing, teaching. And you start going into God's grace and mercy and what what it is. And one thing leads to another. One word leads to another. One thought leads to another. Well, that's what's happening here in, in the fact that Paul is inspired of the Holy Ghost to say the things that he's uh, saying now and saying in this text. So, let's, let's get started looking here. In Ephesians chapter number 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. All right. 
so we we see immediately Paul is is signing this letter. He is he is identifying as the writer, as a penman, or if you please, of the letter. He gives his title as being an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he, of course, he says, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. So that's who, whom he's addressing. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And that's all of us that are faithful to him. Now, the term or the phrase saints and to the faithful. A saint is not a sinless person, folks. But a saint is a saved sinner. That, that's what a saint is. Um... Let me address something. I, I, preachers still do it. I, I know it's in 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 the King James Bible, and that's fine. You can you can use it. There's no there's it, it's it's fine. But Saint John, Saint Luke, Saint Peter, Saint Paul, you you know, Saint Matthew. That's fine. You can say that. In fact, it's extremely biblical to say that. The issue is this. St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Matthew, St. whomever we see in the Word of God, they are no more saints than St. Sean, St. Kevin, St. Farron, St. Jennifer, St. Brenda, St. Tammy, St. Rhonda, St. Wayne. We're all saints. And that that's what I want to address in opening. You see, the Roman Catholic institution labels quote-unquote sainthood. And you achieve sainthood. Folks, that's salvation by works. That is not salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and it's wrong. It's out of hell. It's not correct doctrine, uh, no matter who believes in it. We're all saints in Christ Jesus. You don't achieve sainthood. You get sainthood when you get saved by the grace of God. So, a saint is not a sinless person, but a saved sinner. It's a sinner that comes or becomes a saint when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says faithful in Christ Jesus. It's another way of describing Christians. Let's let's talk about how we're labeled real quick. And uh and we'll we'll get into um in into the rest of this in a minute. But I told you this is going to be a rich chapter. This is the pinnacle of all chapters. This is a rich chapter. We may not even finish this chapter tonight. But, you know, the New Testament only calls us Christians. I believe it is three times. You can check me on your with your concordance. But we're called to be Christians three, or called Christians three times. The word that is typically used for us is believers or saints. Okay, those those are probably the most frequented. I mean, we're called scum at one point, basically, or the off-scouring. Um, and so we, we have adopted the term Christian, and that's fine because it, it is a Bible term. It was given in the Bible. 
But the most frequented use of the word in describing who we are, naming or labeling us, is believers or, as in this case, saints. Okay? It's not a special group. It is a folks, it is a group of people, it is individuals who have a special Savior. Now... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, okay, offered to them. That's what Paul, that's how Paul's opening the letter. Then he says, verse number three, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So he he addresses the fact that what he's going to describe here is the blessings and all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So... He opens this up to describe for us what our spiritual relationship with Jesus is in the heavenly places. Now, the beauty of this is, by the time we come to the end of Ephesians, we're going to see extremely, extreme practical doctrine concerning men, women, children, uh, parents to children, spouses to one another... We're going to see all kinds of practical realities. But it all starts with our relationship in the heavenlies, our spiritual relationship. So we see heavenly places. So that's in verse 3. Now, this means the heavenlies or the realm of heavenly things as in contrast with earthly things. So God blessed the Jews as an earthly people. And you've got to remember that. Therein lies your di- your differentiation between uh, Jews and, and saved people, Jews and believers. The Jews had an earthly inheritance, a worldly inheritance, an, an inheritance on this earth, the promised land, okay, the temple, the Sabbath, all of that. We as believers have a spiritual or a and a heavenly inheritance. So remember that. That should help you in life. It, that doesn't mean we're, we can't have nice things, nice homes, nice vehicles, nice clothes, have blessings. doesn't mean that. We can have those things. But what it does mean is we can't identify our relationship with God to what we have or do not have or obtain or do not obtain physically because our relationship is spiritual in nature, in heavenly places. All right? Verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. I love that verse. Chosen in him. Chosen in him. I was a decent ball player. My son was an excellent ball player. He was better than I was. I was a good ball player. And I remember getting picked first a lot of times or second or towards the top, you know, when you're picking up teams or what have you. I remember doing the picking. 
But, you know, there's times of, of things that maybe I wouldn't get picked at, wouldn't get chosen for. I mean, there's been uh, churches I didn't get. There's been situations I didn't go into. There's been jobs I didn't get. There's been So there's been times when we all face a little rejection. We face not being chosen or not being accepted. Anybody out there ever felt like that? You've not been chosen. You've not been accepted. Well, look at what your Bible says. Verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You might not have been chosen for the basketball team. You might not have been chosen by a boy or a girl. You might not have been chosen for a job. You might not have been chosen for... Uh, anything that you were striving to obtain. But I can tell you what, if you're saved by the grace of God, you are chosen in Him before the very foundations of the world. Before God laid the foundations of the world on its circuit and spun this thing into existence before He ever did that, He saved you. You say, well, I got saved, like me, July 19th, 1994. You're exactly right. But that plan, that mindset, that that reconciliation, what he desired to do, it was already picked out and destined before before the foundation of the world. Now, you can't theologically split that out. Because we do believe in whosoever will. We believe that neither shall any perish, but all should come to repentance. We do believe all of them things, and we teach it. If anybody's ever taught staunchly against Calvinism, it's me. But the reality, you can't change the fact that God says he's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it like this. May have been D.L. Modi. Pretty sure it was Charles. You know, it was definitely Charles Haddon Spurgeon, because he had more of a Calvinistic bend than um, than Moody did. But uh, Spurgeon said that if if the free will of man and predestination are like two train tracks that are going down down into the distance, and if you're to stand in between those tracks. And you're to look as far off into the distance of them tracks as you possibly can. The two tracks are running side by side. But there comes a point on down the line in the future where you can't see where one track is and the other track. The two just kind of blend together. And Spurgeon gave that description of the free will of man and predestination. He said the reality is this. If you look down through the eons of time, you can't tell where the free will of man begins and predestination ends and vice versa. As a matter of fact, it's been said like this, and this is probably the greatest description that you'll find about this matter that I'm talking about. When you get to heaven and you see that first gate, and before you enter in, you see on that first gate, For whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's whosoever will. And you walk through that gate as for whosoever will. And when you get through that gate, you look on the backside of that gate, it'll say 
chosen in him before the foundations of the world. That's our salvation, folks. That's our salvation. It's a whosoever will salvation, and we're chosen in him before the foundations of the world. Praise Jesus. So verse number five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, let's talk about this word predestination here. This means that God determined beforehand that everyone who believed on Jesus Christ as Savior would become his son or daughter. That's all that means. Doesn't mean you're predestinated to heaven or hell. It does not mean that. It says, verse 5, as a matter of fact, it has, it's, it's, look, read it. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So it's his will that we all be saved. And then should we get saved, it's his will and it's his predestination that we're going to be adopted sons and adopted daughters. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. This is Jesus. Verse 6 is Jesus Christ. God accepts us. He is the beloved. My beloved, you remember the Song of Solomon? My beloved is mine. I'm his. I'm my beloved. My beloved is mine. We are accepted in him. And now we go back to that chosenness. Have you ever been rejected? I have. I have. I've been rejected on a number of different realms. And I can't really think of one. I was actually even listening to a secular or, or is a podcast, and uh, I don't know if it was Jordan Peterson or who it was, but it wasn't even Christian based. Of course, Jordan Peterson uh, says he's got saved now, and everything you hear about him's the Bible, from, coming from him mostly is the Bible. But uh, that's another topic. But the individual was talking in the podcast about how rejection hurts and how rejection reaches a place in in your heart and your mind it's just almost decapacitating as far as or incapacitating as far as just crippling you and affecting you and hurting you in such a a a heartbreaking and heart-rending and vile way rejection's awful whether it's a rejection of a spouse or rejection of of a job, rejection of a church, rejection of a group of people, rejection of friends, rejection of a you you name it. It's it stinks. It stinks. But we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And look at verse six. Who hath made us accepted in the beloved? You know what accepted is? It's the exact opposite of rejection. And although you may have been rejected by something, someone, some things in this world, although that may be the case, if you're saved, you've been accepted in the Beloved and accepted in Jesus Christ. And that's better than any ball team, any spouse, any friend, any group of friends, any church. You, you can have it all, friend. Give me Jesus. Verse number five, we see the term adoption used. When a child is born, when a child is born, he is counted as a child of his parents. Okay? 
but there's certain things he can't do until he's grown, okay? And that's that's how us, as, as people, we believe in Christ, Christ our Savior, from the guilt and the punishment of sin. You get born again. You become a child of God. And you don't have to wait many years to get rights and privileges. You get them right away as a child of God. So when you get born, you got to wait many years sometimes to come into full personhood really you know even as a even this you got to wait to the vote you got to wait to uh sign for documents you know things like that but when you get saved you got all full rights and privileges as an adult son an adult daughter now that's what adoption means so you get born again now the other thing about adoption is this Verse 5, talking about verse 5, the adoption of children. Second thing I want to talk about with adoption is I love my children. I do. I love every one of them. But I had no choice in the matter. I had no choice in what they looked like. I had no choice in their personality, really. There was parts of it I could shape. I had no choice in their gender. Neither did they, by the way. It was what God gave us as they were born. But an adopted child is hand-picked, picked out. That's the one I want. Adopted children aren't second-class children. They were hand-picked by the parent. That's the one I want. So therein lies the other beauty of adoption chosen, picked by him. Here's another one. There's two ways you can enter into a family as a child or, you know, as as the child of a parent. Number one, born into it. Number two, adopted. And finally, this. Legally. Legally. And I, I don't know, it's probably, it could be different state to state at this point. You know how laws change and different laws get written into effect. But at the time of this writing, the time of the Holy Ghost inspiring the Word of God to be put to paper, legally, an adopted child could not be left out of the will of the Father. He had to be part of the inheritance. And that speaks of our, so, of our eternal security. When you're born a child, you're a child. Now, I might, and I would never do it. I would never do it. But you, you take a parent that left their children, forsook their children. Fact is, they're still their children. The parent might have neglected their duties, but they're still theirs. They still give birth. And concerning an adopted child, can't leave them out of the will, can't leave them out of the inheritance. So what does that tell us? That tells us eternal security of the believer can't be left out never not a child good good stuff verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace redemption through his blood that's redeemed back okay to redeem have you ever redeemed a coupon you ever had a coupon redeemed? That means to 
buy back, in other words. You give them the coupon, you get certain off that price. That's what redemption is. Christ buys us back. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded. To abound means to overflow. He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. What's the mystery of his will? It's salvation by grace through faith. According to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. Now, this is not a dispensational study. But you've heard me use the word dispensation a lot, that to dispense. In other words, there's been times and time periods throughout human history that God has dispensed his will in the way he is operating with people in the different time periods. Now, there's the seventh dispensation. Um, I, I may get into that sometime. You've got the dispensation of innocence, you know, before Adam and Eve, and the dispensation of judgment. You've got, you got seven dispensations throughout, okay? Seven being the number of completion. That's the way God has dispensed his will and knowledge to his people. So, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times... By the way, proper teaching on dis dispensations is what I teach when I'm teaching you we're not the Jew. And God does not handle us like he did the Jew. And when people don't get that, they don't understand that, that means that tells me they don't understand dispensationalism. Now, dispensationalism is not a term... You know, that's why people think you're going through the tribulation period. That's why they take the Old Testament and they think every verse in the Old Testament's about them when it's to the Jew. You know, they go under dietary laws or keeping Sabbaths, the, the whole nine yards. And and the reason is, is they don't understand dispensations. Now, non-dispensationalist preachers, they like to throw off and kind of slam and make sideways comments about dispensational preachers. But the reality is the term dispensation is a Bible term. And God does deal with people. If God doesn't deal with people as differently in, in a lot of ways than what he dealt with people in different times in the Bible, then who's heard the voice of God audibly today? Anybody? Now, I know you might have thought that, but it's probably too many pinto beans last night. Okay? Might have been too much pizza before bed. But Moses heard it. Elijah heard it, Adam heard it, Abraham heard it. I mean, we could run the list in the Old Testament. So God give us a perfect Bible so we've got a new dispensation where we don't have to listen. We don't, I'm sorry, not listen. Where we don't have to listen for or hear his word audibly. We got the word of God. So understand your dispensations. Now, that doesn't mean the Old Testament is not relevant and practical. But understanding your dispensations will prevent you from getting caught up in a lot of false doctrine where you think you're the Jew. Okay? 
Verse 11, in whom we have obtained inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him. Notice not once when you see predestination does it say predestinated to heaven or hell. Predestinated to saved or lost. It's always got to do with predestination of a believer. In other words, you're saved and now God has predestined you to be in him, to live in him, to be conformed to the image of his will and the counsel of his will. That's what we see in verse 11. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Hallelujah. Look at verse 13. You want an you want a, a eternal security verse? Look at verse 13. In whom ye also trusted. At, that's saved, friend. That's what salvation is, is trusting. In whom also ye also trusted. I'm going to, I'm not going to, we're going to come back and deal with even more of that. We're probably, we're not going to, I'm going to get through all the verses, but we're coming back to chapter one, the next. This is so rich. I could spend two weeks in chapter one. In whom ye also trusted. So there's your salvation. It's a trust. After that, you heard the word of truth. How did you get, how did you trust? You heard the word of truth. How should they hear except they be sent? How or how should they hear without a preacher? God chose the word of God to save people. He chose the message to save people. So, you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. So, you trusted and believed. And after that, look, 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 look at verse 13. You are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Remember what sealed means? I used to think it was the Ziploc bag sealing it up. Oh, no. Ziploc bag can still be opened even though it's sealed up. The seal, ladies and gentlemen, refers to the, the king as he would take his signet ring and he would seal a document. Okay, what would he do? He would imprint on that document his mark or his... Or his uh, initials or his signature. Signature. That's where we get sign and seal. And when he would do that, it could not be undone. And so when we get saved, the Spirit of God seals us. He puts that signature seal on us until the day of redemption. Boy, that's so, mm, that's rich. Good gosh, this book is rich. Love this chapter. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. and Earnest. You know what earnest is? Earnest is like a down payment money. It's like a little money up front. Okay? So, us being sealed with the Spirit and all... Listen, I was going down the road just the other day. And I was just thinking about God's goodness. And tears were coming to my eyes. And as good as that was, that's just a down payment. Just a little earnest money. You know, earnest money ain't near, near the full amount. So every good thing you experience down here, every good thing, it's just earnest money compared to what God's going to give us all at the end. Glory, or at the beginning. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 
Verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints. So Paul's heard about their faith. He heard they got saved. He heard they loved the saints. And your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I've ceased not to give thanks for you and make making mention of you in my prayers. And that's what I do for you all. I thank God for you and I pray for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's what happens after salvation. That you may know what the hope of the calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. What Paul's trying to tell us is that when we got saved, we didn't just get a ticket out of hell. We got a whole new life in the heavenlies, a spiritual life, a spiritual being, a spiritual body. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the, his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul is saying right here, is in you. You think about the power that it took to raise Christ from the dead. That's what's in you. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And it's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You remember how many times I've been teaching lately that when you get saved, you begin to make up the body and become a part of the church. And when that body gets completed, she'll make his bride. All right, that concludes the first lesson in Ephesians chapter 1. I told you it was going to be good. I told you it was going to be good. We're not done with Ephesians 1. The next time we're going to pick up our reading, we're going to backtrack and go about halfway through Ephesians 1 break down some of these verses. This was kind of an introduction tonight. We'll get even richer next time. And stick along with me. Listen to it. And I believe God will bless you for it. Good night. God bless. I love you all. Listen in. Tune in Wednesday night.